The Deadwood Song by S. M. Swaby He thought it was foxes at first, off in those woods at night. He knew from previous experience that they sounded like murder victims when they copulated. And it was that time of year, cold, sharp February nights, the sound cutting through the dark as he lay in bed, drifting off. Distant and indistinct at first. He was able to dismiss it almost immediately and then slip anchor into sleep's safe waters. But one night it started a bit earlier. He heard it above the TV, put it on mute, paused, listening. It came again, still distant, but it carried and cut through the air. It was unlike any fox he'd ever heard. It was not a sound of back gardens and alleyways. Deep inside, he felt something unnameable, stirring, ready to clutch his innards with a dread hand. But the sound died off, and he went to bed, deciding to forget all about it, which he did, until it woke him up two nights later as he dozed off in the armchair. This time it sounded more intense and closer, intermittent, distorted, frequently buried beneath the sound of the evening's last pulse of traffic. But it was there all the same. It was impossible to pinpoint the source as he stood, scalp prickling, window open, ears straining. Impossible to pinpoint, except he knew it was in those woods. During the summer that followed, there was just an occasional reminder, the odd night just after dark. Once he thought he heard something right outside the building when he got up. A horrible moment that froze his entrails before he realised it must have been cats fighting. Gradually, he shrugged off the creeping unease. Gradually, things returned to normal and he could continue with his solitary life, just as he'd always done. But then, as the autumn days shrank to withered remnants, it came back with a vengeance waking him in the small hours, in that quiet time between 1am and 3am, when the city paused in stasis. The dead hours when he was acutely aware of just how alone he was, with only a hollow honeycomb of cold rooms around him and above him. He almost wished for the oblique comfort of the departed insomniac upstairs. The creaking boards and shuffling sounds had at least been evidence of normal life. He tried to explain the sound away, but it was getting louder, still indistinct, but like the memory of a voice. It was definitely out there and not in his head. Out there. Someone screaming. And after a week it was no longer alone. He jolted awake at 2.40am on a Friday morning to listen, frozen in the dark to realise there was a second and a third voice joining the scream. Garbled shouts, laced with animal fear, weird and intermittent, as if emanating from a detuned radio or snatched up and carried off by a capricious wind. But then, back again, just that bit closer every time, he lay there, heart and mouth, clutching the duvet to himself, limbs locked, reduced to a child again. Then abruptly the sounds died off, 
flickered and failed. He lay awake for another hour, staring at the ceiling, listening, listening, listening. But the woods stayed silent, and eventually he found sleep once more, just half an hour before the alarm went off. There were bad nights and better nights, but he found himself constantly listening out just the same. From the time he walked home from the station, now always on the side of the road furthest away from the trees, and all through his routine until bed, while he cooked, as he sat in the lounge, TV turned low. He stopped playing music because he became convinced that every time a song began, the voices started up outside, and he could hear them just beneath the sounds from the speakers. He couldn't remember his dreams, but he sensed they had been taken over by something unspeakable. Around the anniversary of his first killing, it started getting worse. The sounds were now unmistakable. It was a fluctuating chorus of human cries, cries of pain, of fear, of terrible suffering, in the different keys of men, women, children, and some so garbled and indescribably horrible they were beyond defining. They rose and fell, sometimes a lone voice, sometimes what sounded like ten or more, ebbing and flowing, like some dark estuarine tide, rich with the silt of human suffering, flowing up out of those woods in the small, dead hours when the city slowed and slept. The sounds were beyond being ignorable. They cut to the mirror. He knew that nobody else could hear them. No lights ever flickered on in the other flats. No blinds or curtains ever stirred during those episodes. No police cars were ever called. He was more alone than ever. He began to recognise some of those cries out there, on the derelict city air, among the chokes, the pleas for mercy, and the fucking awful, awful screams. He recognised them as the voices of those men he'd murdered. The same pleas, the same screams, broadcast on repeat, as if the very air had recorded them. His nights became an ordeal. Sleep was held out. A tatty tantalus promise dangled cruelly just beyond reach most of the week. The chorus made sure of that. He tried sleeping in different rooms, as far from the windows as possible. But the sound followed him wherever he chose to barricade himself. He tried sleeping tablets, but they worked only intermittently. He tried drink, but he couldn't get used to the taste, even in tea, and it just made him sick before he could render himself insensible. It seemed as if the voices knew he was attempting to cheat them, to shut them out, and they increased their assault accordingly. The lack of sleep quickly eroded him, stripped his days of reason. His timekeeping grew erratic. He lost weight. His health plummeted. People at work commented. The head of section, Myers, called him in for a meeting, feigning concern, delivering veiled disciplinary threats. He stopped going to work. He fell behind on the rent. He had the money in the bank to cover it, but his grasp on the rituals of order and routine had slipped. 
he'd fallen into a place that imprisoned him. And then, one evening, just before Christmas, after three days without real sleep, he drifted off deep through sheer exhaustion. After a while, the empty black void gave way to a vision. The first man he'd killed came to him in this dream. The man's face looked different in proper light, somehow, though it was still intact like it was before the hammer blows. Except he had the same glasses on, and one lens was a spider's web of cracked glass. He also wore the same overcoat, now crusted with patches of leaves and mud, and something else that was dark around the lapels and down the front. The man in the dream was in his kitchen, boiling the kettle, which wouldn't switch off, so the steam was steadily filling the room, condensing on the tiles and window. The man turned and looked at him with an unreadable expression, and then he smiled in a sad, melancholy way. Smiled at the night-sweat fear and confusion smeared across his murderous face. You still don't know what's happening, do you? The dead man asked quietly, but his voice was clear above the agitated tumult of water, as if he'd been standing right next to him in the doorway. They're coming to you, he said. All of them. The dead of this city. All the murdered dead. They hear our voices in your woods. They find them, and they join them. And there are so many of us now. I don't want this. I didn't, didn't mean for this to happen. For any of it. I don't want them here. Please. Please! Please! The smile faded from the dead man's face. A pause, like molasses, like the thickening blood so fastidiously scrubbed away each time. The blood of four dead men. Slow and heavy, time pregnant with a sickly pressure. Then the man spoke again. And you think I can stop it, do you? That's not possible now. You've started something. And me? Well, I'm part of it. And the man opened his mouth abruptly to let out the screams of all the dead gathered there in the woods beyond the flat. He woke himself up drenched in the sharp, smelling sweat of the stranger he'd become. His own pitiful, high-pitched, childlike cries, they had woken him up, and their vibrations still rang in his ears, above the polluted echo of that terrible sound from the dead man's mouth. He screamed at the ceiling, imploring his invisible neighbours, "'Can't any of you hear them? What's wrong with you all? Somebody, please!' Just tell me how to make it stop. I can't fucking stand any more of this. I can't. I can't. Shouts corroded and cracking, breaking down to wordless sobs. He fell back on the sofa in the dark, gasping for breath, crying. Silence now, except the purr of the refrigerator, 
the regular soft click of the smoke alarm system. A moment of normality, and he felt himself edging towards the steadying hand of calm, heart rate diminishing. The safe reality of his old life grasped, welcomed back with tearful gratitude once again. All just a nightmare. All of it just a bad dream. And then he heard a click as someone switched on the kettle in the kitchen. As if on cue, the voices started up again in the woods. Only now they weren't just out there, in the dark across the road. There were more of them in the front garden, on that impeccably manicured lawn beneath the lounge window. Louder now, closer, more of them, trailing footprints of mud, leaf, mould and blood. He knew they'd be standing there on the lawn, their ruined faces all raised to his windows like grotesque parodies of carol singers. Their mouths open ovals of eternal night, endlessly repeating their inarticulate dying cries. Their screams, their curses, their pleas, a discordant, dissonant choir of human suffering, forever trapped. The women beaten violated and killed by predatory rapists and enraged ex-boyfriends, the children abducted and strangled on cold waste ground and in darkened garages, the vagrants and prostitutes who'd fallen through society and disappeared without leaving a single fingerprint on life, and the suicides driven to ultimate despair by a life they could not escape and could no longer bear. A black wave of sound, endlessly breaking against him. A chorus of night beyond night. Meant only for his ears. And he couldn't block it out any more. It was a terrible music he would only be free of when he joined them. He threw his head back, opened his throat and started to scream back at them. And once he'd started, he found he couldn't stop.